KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Homegrown's alright with me. Homegrown is the way it should be. Homegrown is a good thing. Plant that bell and let it ring. Homegrown here at KRCL's. Aldine here, KRCL's punk rock I got the right farmer. one on now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is our last show for a minute. We're going to yeah. take a break for a second, and yeah. we have a big show planned. <sighs> Laura Jones in the studio with me, as so, always. So crazy. I forgot to turn your mic on. We got a big <laughs> show, lots of stuff coming up, including... Uh, Tom Wheatley of the Utah Meat Collective. Nonprofit features farmers, chefs, butchers, students coming together in the name of transparent meat education. Laura and I got to go down and oh actually make some sausage there. There he brought it tonight. last weekend and he brought it yeah. and boy oh boy is it <laughs> good we're gonna talk about that it's i'm excited for that uh oh, utah Co- flower farm association heather griffiths and she brought uh, melanie from usu extensions and taylor from uh, who is a new flower farmer together from up we in bloom. ogden together we bloom and um they have a big event they've created a utah flower day and so that's pretty cool yeah it's really cool i kind of fantasize that my retirement will be you know growing lavender in my front yard i've heard that (laughs) i've heard that story i've threatened it a couple of times (laughs) also we've got skywatcher leo t who's got the star party tomorrow night out at spock stansbury park observatory complex out there in stansbury on your way to tooele on your way to wendover perhaps who knows but you're welcome to join us um, what else do we have? I think that's it besides we the live music. Have, yes, we have the Fervors, and I'm really excited. And they're set to play Honey Days. Yeah. And Alex is here from Honey Days. Hey, and Alex. he's. Thanks we, for having this me. This is at the Commonwealth Room. Yes. And uh, we're great. It's great to have you, my brother. Tell us a little bit about what's going on at Honey Days. And yeah. why? Yeah, so we have a massively talented lineup of local musicians put together. Uh, it's going to start off with the J-Rad Cooley Band. Oh, and yeah. And Roy and the Robbers. Then we're going to have the Psychosomatics, the Fervors, who are playing here tonight, Muser, the Pseudos, the Lingo, Umbells, Lee Refugi, the Melons, and Fontaine as the headliner. So oh we've had gosh. quite a, a number of those bands on the yeah. show, so it's going to be great. So you're a musician, and actually your band Lingo is going to debut at the at the festival, but you've been thinking about this for a while. You wanted to really shine a light on local music, local artists, which you know we did on 801 Day on Monday, so this is a great way to wrap it up with news of Honey Days. Yeah, so I've been wanting to put something together in the local scene for a couple of years now, and COVID kind of put a pin in that, so... Now that everything's opened up, we reached out to all these wonderful bands, and we're putting together a great day of live music and art. And food trucks. And a food truck, yes. So this is on Saturday, September 3rd, doors at 11, shows start at noon, goes till like 11, then there's an after party. We'll put a link in the show notes, Al, for folks to check it out and where they can get tickets. But what do you think is important about live music in our community, Alex? I think as you're seeing Salt Lake, city explode you're seeing the music scene also do the same thing and now we have all these bands that i think you're going to be seeing touring and doing big festivals and i think it's really important we come and support them as they're in their infancy and getting their name out there where can people learn more about honey days you can learn more about honey days on our instagram at honey days slc and tickets are at uh, axs.com or the stateroompresents.com We'll put links in the show notes. In the meantime, hi, Fervers. How you doing? We're doing real good. Doing how y'all good. doing? 
Bridger and Dylan from the Fervors are here in the studio. One of my fave bands. They played at my festival down in Toria a little while back. And you guys, I saw you guys got back together, and it's just the two original you guys. And I'm excited to have you play on the radio. Thanks so much, Al. We're excited to be here. Very cool. So let's get right to it. Uh, this one is... This is the Fervors with Opus, and this is an instrumental. We're here fresh and homegrown on KRCL 90.9 FM.
It's many cultures, one sky. Skywatcher Leo T here. As we look up, face southeast after darkness is complete. Look a little more than halfway from horizon overhead, and there's a beautiful, large, whitish star, Altair. It's the brightest star over there on the right corner of the Summer Triangle, or Cygnus the Swan. Look left of Altair by a bit more than a fist for the compact little Delphinus, the dolphin, leaping in and out of the edge of the Milky Way. And doing a little space exploration of my own the other night, I focused the old Orion telescope on Saturn, and it's wearing its rings at an angle, kind of like a flamenco dancer. And a ways to the left on the other side of the big pine, Jupiter has its racing stripes out at about the same angle as Saturn's rings. And sporting two moons in front and two in the back, a couple of hours later I looked again and one of the moons had apparently gone behind the big planet, or maybe a cloud came over. And that was in the front yard with a street light on the corner. It's shooting star season, the upcoming Perseid meteor shower, one of the most anticipated and popular night sky shows of the year. It's going to be joined by August full moon at its peak on August 12th and 13th, but the Perseids, which occur annually between July 14th and September 1st, that's going on now, so get out to the waves, the rocks that feel like a wave, or mountain lakes that make waves, and take your chances. This year's meteor shower peaks, it so happens with the appearance of that full moon, which will reduce the number of meteors to 10 to 20 per hour. But get out there anyway. It's a great reason to be out and celebrate meteors by the light of the moon, by yourself or with some friends. Artemis One Moon Mission will launch on a test flight up and around the moon with an uncrewed Orion capsule on a multi-week mission to test out the systems and see if the SLS rocket and Orion capsule are ready to carry astronauts to the moon again. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's many cultures, one sky. This week we're going to tap into artistic and creative author Ellen Malloy's body of work as she quotes New Mexico author Edith Warner. I believe this is from the 1920s. This is a day when life and the world seem to be standing still. Only time and the river flowing past the mesas. I cannot work. I go out in the sunshine to sit receptively for what there is in the stillness and calm. I am keenly aware that there is something just now it seemed to flow in a rhythm around me and then to enter me. Something which comes in a hushed inflowing. All of me is still and yet alert, ready to become part of this wave that laps the shore on which I sit. Somehow I have no desire to name or understand. It's enough that I should feel and be of it in moments such as this. And most of the hatred and ill will, the strained feeling is gone. I know not how. So join Edith in feeling the inflow as you look up, look around, and get a little bit lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. And Skywatcher Leo T. joins us in the studio now, Al Dine. Hey, hey Skywatcher, how you doing? Hey, Laura. Hey, Al. So glad to have you here for an extended edition of Many Cultures, One Sky. And you brought a friend with you. brought a friend with you. Yes, Roger Fry from uh, Spock. And I'm, I'm glad to be here. Right. Spock's a great place. If uh, you haven't been out to visit, you're cheating yourself. You should come out and have, with a family, and it's a good event. So the Salt Lake Astronomical Society, Roger, is with SLAS, which holds and runs the Spock, Stansbury Park Observatory Complex, which is about how many miles away on your way to Wendover? Okay, it's e it's easy to get there from Salt Lake, either Highway 201 or I-80 westbound, exit on uh, exit 99, 
go in toward Tooele, it's 3.7 miles, you'll turn right, and uh, the next street light, you turn left, and you're at the observatory. It's, it's 30 minutes from beautiful. Salt Lake. Very cool. There's three very large telescopes there, isn't there, Roger? Actually, four large telescopes, okay. and the largest is the largest amateur telescope in the world. It is a monster. It, the mirror for that was made to go into space. It's the Hubble-type mirror, uh, no and way. it's incredible. And we can see a lot of detail and resolution with that large telescope. Isn't that one the one that's like 20-some-odd feet long? It's as big <laughs> as a school bus. <laughs> and believe it or not, it was built by an amateur astronomer who uh, didn't know if it would work. Who was that? It, Mike Clements, and he built that in uh, about uh, 10 years ago. It was out in a friend's backyard in Harriman for several years until we talked him into if we build a building to host it at our observatory, and so it's out there now, and it's wonderful. Was there filters on that one that you could look at bright things like even the sun and whatnot, or no? Not on that one, but others. We've, okay. we've got one of okay. our refractors that's a large refractor, and we've got it's a hydrogen alpha filter. And we can look at the prominences of the sun and look at sunspots. So we oftentimes do that before the sun sets. After the sun sets, we're looking at the moon, planets, and we're looking at deep sky objects. So all kinds of nebulas and galaxies. The Ooh. one thing, if an individual spent every night of their life looking at features in the night sky with the telescope they would never run out of things that they haven't seen before that's right we're going to get a look at all this tomorrow night because uh, skywatcher leo t has set up a star party so what's happening and uh, explain what uh, you're hoping folks can come out and do with us well we're thinking about oh if you can get up there about seven o'clock or seven to eight right roger eight yeah it doesn't get dark until nine but we'll you can look at the equipment and uh, acclimate yourself and be ready to for the night events and hopefully the weather will cooperate we subscribe to what's called clear sky clock it's a weather prediction service and they say sometime between 9 and 10 the clouds break and then it clears after that so should be great uh, if the, if the clouds break early it's gonna be great uh, certainly I think by 10 we should have some clearing of the skies and be able to see some neat stuff there's a bit of a park there and folks could maybe bring in a little barbecue stuff and things and and kind of chill out before the the clouds clear right absolutely and there's right next to Mill Pond and there's a lot of waterfowl there so they bring binoculars you'll see uh, uh, cranes, uh, uh, pelicans, uh, a lot of other waterfowls, and it's just good place to sit and relax and enjoy the evening. Well, thanks so much for coming, Roger. You know, I you're excited, and it makes me excited, and I love astronomy, but I think it makes other, you know, it rubs off on, on folks and oh, yeah. gets them excited. It does, and when you hear a little child or an adult go, wow, yep. I've never seen such a thing, it sends chills down your spine, it makes every minute real? worth is it. Is that yeah. real? I always get that yeah. in the telescope. Yeah. You get Saturn in the telescope, and they're like, is that real, or did you pace that on? The moon <laughs> is always impressive to me, and when I, the first time I went up, it was emigration, they used to, used to have star parties up there, and I was looking through someone's telescope that they brought, and I almost fell over, because I could feel the rotation <laughs> of the earth it was crazy Ooh, wow. but leo i just want to say thank you for doing uh what you do for us on friday nights because you do it as a volunteer you put together these many culture one sky reports for us and i'm really grateful so tell folks why you want them to come out and, and, and enjoy the night sky it's magic you just want to go out there it's so magical and when you get out there and 
Uh, it's a good idea to come out a little early, bring your picnic or whatever you want to do and relax. But the, once you see the night sky start to evolve and from dusk and you see uh, the stars start to come out, Arcturus and the moon come out, and the moon is going to be about a, what, about a half tomorrow? It's a little less than a fir uh, first quarter moon, so we're pretty close to half. But so that's it's the best time it's, to look at it. It's waxing, correct? It's waxing on, right? It, yes, <laughs> it's, yes, it Not is. Not waxing up. Wax, waxing crescent. <laughs> so we want people to just come out and enjoy themselves, take a break from everything, yeah. and then you'll have a real nice vacation. Only cost what it takes for you folks to get yourself out there because it is open and free to the public, and we're going to be there from about dusk till about 11 or so and uh, if the weather cooperates you can look through the big telescope look at some of these oh, yeah. deep space objects mm. up there like uh, you've got uh, the ring nebula there's m13 and hercules or is that the ring nebula and there, there's a lot of nebulas we look at uh, nebulas that are cradles of star birth and we also look at nebulas that are dying stars and each one of them have their particular points of interest and we we explain the physics behind these lots of folks there to ask questions of and to look through telescopes and have a good time so we hope we'll see you out there check Yay. tonight's show notes for a link to skywatcher leo thanks, 2's Laura. facebook page welcome and, thanks, and roger fry and roger. Salt Lake thanks roger astronomical society thanks for coming Ooh. in thanks for inviting me you're Cheers welcome <laughs> the americans with disabilities act turns 32 this month the Utah Division of Services for People with Disabilities helps people with disabilities live their best, most independent life by providing services such as employment and independent living in their communities. Learn more at dspd.utah.gov. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at ywcautah.org and markmillersubaru.com. Hey folks, this is Liz from Rude Awakening. My show got moved to a sick new time. It's now Wednesday evenings, 8 p.m. until 10.30 p.m. So if you've been looking for a Pumpkin' Star show, I've got it right here, right before Maximum Distortion. So I'll see you folks Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. till 10.30. Cheers, y'all. Liz always does a great show, folks. Do check it out. And any program on KRCL is available for the last two weeks on demand. Just go to krcl.org and click on programming. All right, Aldine, uh, I did want to remind folks that you've got something in the works that they can listen to. We've got a podcast you're doing with a, a previous guest of the show, right? Yes. Um, Jana Francis was on the show recently, and she's the Gardening Utah podcast and radio show woman. Uh -huh. And um, it's on KKAT, KCAT. At uh, six eight okay, uh, yeah. eight sixty a.m. and it's next uh, Saturday and Sunday it plays. And, and folks then, can follow you on your social, right? Yes, yeah. they can. And to find out a little more detail about it, and then it's um, also podcasted after that. So yeah. the next week it's okay. a podcast. We're spreading the the agrihood far and wide. With yes, all the work we're doing. She asked that question specifically. I she wanted it. to hear about, about the, the agrihood. <laughs> well, stick around. You're going to meet Tom Wheatley of the Utah Meat Collective during the Urban Farm Report. But we have a special occasion to talk about coming up on August 13th at Wheeler Farm. Heather Griffiths, the president of the president, I like that, the That's president of the Utah Cut Flower Farm Association is here with us, and you brought some people. Introduce who you have with you. So I have Dr. Melanie Stock, a researcher at USU. She, she is a plant uh, soil scientist. She's a soil scientist, but she has done a lot of awesome cut flower studies at USU, putting out a lot of fact sheets and just really 
helping farmers improve their practices in Utah. And then we also have Taylor Johns of Together We Bloom, a first-year flower farmer out of Ogden. I'm so so jealous. flower farming <laughs> has really taken off in Utah and in the last five years really just gone kind of crazy. And there is a lot of new farmers, and we have one here. That's uh, exciting. And uh, tell us a little bit about the state of things and just what the pulse is right now. So flower farming, like you said, has really taken off in Utah. I think when I started five years ago, there was less than 10, maybe even less than five. And now there's over 100 farms in the state, which is amazing. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, <laughs> yeah. And so and it's so exciting to see all these people interested in flowers and wanting to grow and figure out how to do it and how to do it success, successfully and to get flowers, local flowers into the hands of everyday people. Um, because it's a huge difference. Be- the way that you engage with your local flowers is totally different than your grocery store bouquet. Uh-huh. So there's fragrance and there's color and there's dynamic and maybe every now and then you get a ladybug hopping out. And that's cool too. And there's season and certain time. It's timing, right? It's a relationship with our, it's a relationship with the earth of the seasonality of the flowers and the you knowing where they come from and the, all the amount the care that went into it and the love because it is a love. You can't do it. You can't farm if you don't love it. No matter what you're farming. Um, and so having all of these new farms coming up has just been awesome to watch. Melanie, I have a question for you. Um, I know that you guys have been affiliated for a while, and I know that some of the flower farmers have done some research for you guys and done some little projects like that. But how are you guys affiliated, and, and what? how are you connected? Yeah, absolutely. So I moved here in 2018, and I had no idea that I'd be studying cut flowers at all. Um, I knew I'd be working with small-scale farmers and urban farmers and working on crop production in some way. Um, And so there were some rumblings at USU about cut flowers taking (laughs) off. And so I I remember the early days I was Googling to try to see who are these cut flower farmers. And Heather was one of the first farmers I met. And I I was so blown away at how welcoming all the cut flower farmers have been and just talking to them in the beginning to just see what are you growing, what are the challenges with production, Utah is one of the hardest places to grow. Especially flowers, I'm sure, because, uh, you know, I, 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 I learned from Heather that some of them aren't so delicate, but you see a bloom and, and you think of the hot beating sun here, you know, you have some challenges to deal with probably. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, that's why I love it. It's, I can study anything <laughs> um, when it comes to flowers because it's all kind of challenging to tailor it here to Utah. We're up in the mountains, so the sun is really intense, and that – Uh, It makes it hard to have long stems that way. Um, We've got wind. We've got temperatures that fluctuate 40 degrees between day, night, uh, late frost, early frost, snow. So it's just been a ton of fun to work on cut flowers and especially to interface and work with the farmers, too, because that's where the good research ideas are, too, is is learning what the challenges are from them and working together. Taylor, uh, first year family run farm. Um, what, where was the, where did the spur come from? Well, I guess I could say it was accidentally on purpose, something that (laughs) happened as I think many kind of flower farmers find themselves in that situation where a passion kind of leads into this drive. And for us, I mean, 
yeah, the local flower movement, we're so happy to have all these people coming before us and really starting it. But we saw that there were still gaps in our community that there's no way, even with all of the designers, all of the weddings in the state, that those needs are being met. And so we were just happy to be able to come and help, I mean, make it a better community involvement just in the Ogden area specifically. And, and you know, uh, you have a love for the uh, radical love, I heard, for the Ogden <laughs> area. And the Ogden Seed Exchange has really got me you know, on that same vibe. Those people, Greg Batt and Anna Cash, the Bucky, and all those folks that are up there, they are really focused on what they're doing and building community around around seeds and around local uh, naturalized seeds. Ugh. That event was super fun this year. It was the biggest one I've been to. It was crazy. <laughs> there was so many people. I had a booth there, and there was five people deep across, three or four feet people deep the whole time. Ogden has a pretty good vibe going on up there, don't they? And they're happy to support local. It's been really fun to see the feedback of the local community, just happy to support each other, happy to support Ogden businesses, and happy to have these locally grown flowers grown with love in the community. Where can folks find you up there? because I know you're at the market, but you do some events and and tell us a little bit about what you're up to. So we mostly do the Ogden Farmers Market every Saturday. Um, we love to do like the special occasions. I mean, if you think about it, flowers are always there for the big fields, the big joys, the big sads, like they always are emotionally connected. So we have a lot of fun doing special events and custom orders and we only use local flowers. So that's another thing that we love to support other local farms. We just did a bridal bouquet the other day and used flowers from eight different local farmers. So that one bouquet went out into the world and demonstrated the work that eight different farms has presented super cool stuff now now heather let's get back to the event utah flower day and you told me about this in the spring when it was still cold and kind of snowy but it frosted the next day after we talked to you but you've been dreaming up this idea about utah flower day and it's something that uh, it's gonna it'll carry on it's it's going to carry on you're gonna do it every year it's at a beautiful new facility at wheeler farm that i did not know about an educational facility correct yeah this new building that's just gorgeous it's very modern but still like it just fits so beautifully in the farm um i i think that the building is beautiful and so the utah flower day we're going to be doing it every year and we've worked, the UCFFA has worked really hard for the last four years to help support farmers and to help give education on how to grow flowers, how to sell your flowers, what it means to be a flower farmer in the state of Utah. And now we've got so many amazing farmers and we want to highlight them. We want to show them off. Um, so we wanted to do the Utah Flower Day to show off our farmers and, and bring in our, the local awareness of look at all of this that's coming out of Utah because still, which blows my mind because I've been, um, but I need to get over it. People, you know, I say, oh yeah, I grow flowers. Like you can grow flowers in Utah. People don't get it. They still don't <laughs> know you can grow flowers in Utah. So I want to get, I want to, I want to buff bust that bubble for them um, and have them meet their farmer. Like we're gonna have farmers from all over the state coming and presenting their flowers. You can buy flowers there. We're gonna have like a floor to ceiling floral installation that's just gonna look amazing to take photos in front of. Think about being surrounded by local flowers. Yeah. Like big time. Yeah, seriously, (laughs) like flowers everywhere. We're gonna have floral arrangements all across the room and farmers selling their flowers and just flowers everywhere. And which is so amazing because it's not just, it's, there's a different smell when you walk into like 
the the flower floral section in your grocery store, right? Right. It's a little bit sterile, a little bit chlorine. But when you're walking to this one, you're going to have so much fragrance. There's going to be the fr the greenery, the the lemon basils, the artigma. Like it's just the the different fragrances and the textures and so many. And August is an awesome month for flowers in Utah. Right. It's the most productive month I've that I've noticed so far on my farm is August. Um, and so it's just going to be an abundance of flowers. And who doesn't want to hang out in flowers? And ice cream. And ice cream. <laughs> Free Aggie ice cream. So bring your kids. Very cool. Uh, so how about we, we close by everybody tell me what their fla favorite flower is and then tell me where your websites and where you can be found. Why don't we start with Dr. Stock? Okay, well, it's really tough to pick. Um, there is a flower called stock, and I have to say, <laughs> it smells amazing. We were just talking about it outside the studio, so either that or a peony. Um, I run the USU Small Farms Lab, and you can find me on Instagram at USU Small Farms and, or smallfarmslab.com. So I guess my favorite flower is kind of a toss-up between cosmos, but like the simple face cosmos and anemones. Um, I love the fragrance of cosmos because you don't expect it, but I also, I love their simplicity. Um, I love simple face flowers. Cosmos. Um, and then what was the other thing? Where's your, where can okay. folks find you? So first let's go Utah Flower Farms, plural, utahflowerfarms.com. Uh, we have a, a map on there where you can find your flower farmer and then Instagram, Utah Flower Farms, once again, plural. Um, and then for my farm, it's wasatchblooms.com or Instagram is just at wasatchblooms. Very good. My favorite flower would have to probably be the sunflower. I just find it a cheery one for everyone. Um, we are Together We Bloom, and the Instagram handle would be together.webloom. And you can certainly find us online just at together-webloom.com. Uh, and at the Ogden Farmer's Market, which is? Every Saturday. So we're going to go home and get ready and pack up for tomorrow morning. Wow. And then the event, one more time for us, the date, the who, what, when, where, why. So August 13th from 5 to 8 p.m. at Wheeler Farm. Free ice cream, come get you, come buy some local flowers, experience, have the experience. That's so fantastic. And I, I do have one last question for the doctor, so we're going to slide this microphone back over. But growing flowers versus vegetables, number one, two, three tips for soil, water, and care? Sure. Um, growing flowers versus vegetables. Let's see here. So you want to pick a good spot in your yard if you're trying to grow. Don't pick the spot that never grows anything to try to fill it in. They really do need good soil. Uh, easy on the compost. Be careful with that. They are sensitive to salt, um, which happens to come with uh, compost. You can still add a lot of amendments to your soil that make it a healthy soil, but just don't love it to death. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's the biggest thing. Okay. And, and pick what you like to grow. Start easy and, and build your way up. I like it. So tons of great advice. Yes. Thanks so much, ladies, for being here. And, and I mean, putting your enthusiasm out there is really great. And we have a great Flower Farm Association and a great uh, hundreds of flower farmers here in Utah. It's really cool. Thanks for coming in. All right, let's go back to our band, The Fervors, live in the studio. They're going to be part of Honey Days on Labor Day weekend. How you doing? We're ready for another song. Job, and uh, we'd love to uh, shout out to The Fervors. Where can folks find you online, Fervors? Um, we're everywhere. Yeah? <laughs> everywhere? I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, not, not to say it like that, you know. <laughs> but like Spotify mainly, you know. Okay. Aldine, what are we going to hear now? This one is the Fervors with Moon Drifter, right here fresh and homegrown on KRCL 90.9 FM.
Oh, yeah, the fervors. Boy, Woo-hoo! oh, boy. Right here on KRCL Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones in studio with Aldine Strict 9, KRCL's punk rock farmer. Coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Not a Sideshow with Circus Brown. And then, of course, at 10.30, Friday Night Fallout, Liquid Rhythms with Ken Barola at 1. Saturday Breakfast Jam with Shanley at 7. And John Florence back for your Saturday Sagebrush Serenade at 10. The last two weeks of any show, including this one, available on demand on our website, krcl.org, made possible by listeners. All right, it's time for the Urban Farm Report, Aldine. Tom Wheatley's with us from Utah Meat Collective. He's down in uh, Spanish Fork. And I first of all, I really want to thank you, Tom, for hosting Laura and I last se- Sunday. Sunday. it was awesome. And boy, it was awesome. We got to make some fresh, fresh sausage. And goodness, was it delicious. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you, and thanks, uh, Al, and thanks, Laura, for having me. And, mm. and you know, I enjoy all the classes I teach, but every now and again you get one that you like a little more, and it's because of the enthusiasm you guys brought to the to the class that oh, yeah. really made it different. And then the other thing I did, of course, Al, is I cyber-stalked you a little bit <laughs> and figured out that you had a bunch of Italian in you, so I kind of – I did uh, pull the dirty, and we made some Italian sausage. Yes, we uh, did. As well. Yes, we did. Check the show photo tonight because I've got a collage of all the fun we had to go with it. Yeah, really great. Lots of pictures and stuff to go along with this. And, you know, pictures of us in the cooler with the meats hanging and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Really great stuff. Tom, um, you're living your retirement dream doing this. But where did that seed get planted? Where did it start? You know, for some reason, I, and I, I can't uh, put my finger on it, I've always wanted to raise pigs and butcher them. And so I spent a lot of years in corporate America having nothing to do with pigs, butchery, um, or farms. And as, we, as I, my retirement started getting closer, I uh, started to put the pieces together to make that happen. So uh, we bought a piece of property out in Spanish Fork and along the way uh, managed to get a walk-in cooler and along the way managed to build a small butcher shop. And along the way, I started to accumulate a bunch of knowledge and information through some great teachers and mentors about how to do the actual butchery. So it was really just uh, almost from a kid. I just thought raising and butchering pigs uh, would be kind of a full circle sort of thing in Mm -hmm. terms of cooking and farming and just the whole thing. And and, uh, yeah, I'm doing it right now. Let's explain your setup a little bit because you bought this piece of property and there was a house already there and then you built a nice new house next to it, but the old house you've converted into your shop. Yep. Yeah. So I got really lucky, uh, found on a local classified site, a a, uh, walking cooler box that fit perfectly just down a few short stairs and all everything I do on the farm around meat and, and even some of the pol- uh, produce stuff I do really revolves around keep being able to keep it cool. So it's uh, super important. So once the cooler was in, then I went to work on figuring out how I could make an effective meat kitchen uh, and uh, cutting area, packaging area and that kind of stuff, keeping stuff good and clean and cool and safe. Um, and I think I managed to pull it off in that uh, old house. You know, um, you, you told us that you're kind of modeled around a, a collective that's up in Portland. There was a book that went along with it that a woman wrote. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So while I was on my journey, I managed or uh, just kind of stumbled into a book called Killing It, uh, written by a lady named Camus Davis. And Camus was on a similar journey of her own. And she, then she chronicled it the, that journey in this book. 
uh, moving from corporate America and wanting to move into butchery and learn that. She took a bit more of an elegant route. She went to France. Um, I went to Salt Lake. Um, but uh, it was and when she got back from her uh, from her trip and her teachings, she was inspired to create what is the first meat collective, which at that time was the Portland Meat Collective. Uh, in her book, she says, if you want to start an, a meat collective of your own, she will assist, which she did in terms of advice and some files and that kind of stuff. Now, since uh, recently, she's moved on to another project called the uh, Good Meat Project, which is really more about trying to gather farmers, uh, meat cutters, consumers, gro uh, grocers, restaurants together around good quality meat and local meat. So the meat collective idea, this is an extension for her. Uh, and for me, I don't see myself making that same extension. I'm an independent sort of unit, but there are meat collectives in Texas, for example, that are modeled after what Camus's original work was, which is really uh, transparent meat education. I mean, there's, there should be no secrets in, in what we eat. Uh, and as much as we can uh, at least connect back to the meat that we eat, uh, that's really my goal and try to teach people uh, the skills that they need if they want to make it themselves or at least know how it has to happen if they're buying it at the store. Nice. So you offer classes and you bring in farmers, chefs, butchers, students all coming together in the name of transparent meat education. Why is that so important to you given the way our society kind of operates today? I'm leading the witness. But yeah. uh, tell us why that's so important to you. Well, uh, you know, I it, it's a couple things. One, I spent 30 years in corporate America. That should be a clue that we really optimize most of our businesses uh, around profitability and efficiency, not necessarily around quality. In animals, you know, uh, folks growing pigs or cows or chickens, they're not optimizing for animal health. They're not optimizing for our health and they're not optimizing for uh, the environment's health. Uh, they're, in, they're optimizing for a low cost chicken breast, which is what we as consumers have demanded. But along the way, we've, we've not given animals the right environment to live in, and, and our health is suffering because of it, and the environment, there's an impact there. So I think understanding that and optimizing for those three things when we're choosing things to eat, whether it be meat or a potato or a turnip, optimizing for how that thing was treated, um, and I don't mean any disrespect when I say thing around animal, that the, the creature was treated, yeah. Um, is is just it that's just become a real uh, focus of mine well I asked you this question when you were showing us your farm down there in Spanish Fort because you took us out on your five acres and showed us where you keep some uh, turkeys you got your new chicks in and they've got two cows I believe um, two beef cows right and then yep. you've got six hogs Berkshires and I asked you this question I'll ask it to you again um, you couldn't do what you're doing the way you're doing it unless you respected the animals? Oh, I wouldn't do it. It's not just could I. I, I just absolutely would not do it. If I, if I was in a smaller piece of property, I would greatly modify what animals I was raising so that the animal's health and interest was first in terms of how, the, how I lay things out. I've got a gigantic pig area uh, relative to m most other farms and particularly production facilities because I want that pig to act like a pig. And what a pig does when it acts like a pig is it sticks its face in the dirt, it rolls in the dirt, it roots, they run around, they burn some, they burn some calories, their muscles get bigger and stronger. It's not just laying on fat. Oh, They're, and what did you tell us, Al? Pigs don't sweat. 
No. And that's why the mud. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So we are pretty dutiful. Uh, my my uh, partner in life and my wife uh, and I, one of us is out there pretty much every day making sure that the pigs are cool. So we just, we hose them with a, squirt them off with a hose, make sure they have a nice mud puddle. We're really taking care of their comfort. And ultimately, I mean, really within a few short months, these are all going to be uh, on uh, in people's fridges and freezers. Um, but we really give them as much uh, care as we can while they're here with us. and Respecting and, that cycle. Yep, yep, and, uh, and they get great care. And I think they grow good pork. Uh-huh. And, you know, so they looked happy. They were wallowing around like pigs, like they're supposed to be. And, <laughs> and, and it, was, it was pretty nice to see them looking. You know, they're not crowded, like you said. They're not in a pen with a, a bunch of others. They're there where they can move around and live their life until it's time. That's really good yeah. stuff, Tom. I know. I know. Local is really important to you, and and the difference between when you buy something local or you buy something at, at the supermarket, the quality is very up. Uh, but why so why so important, and the and the community part of it that goes along with it. Well, I think we're going to get a more nutritious piece of meat um, if we're buying local, and also it's going to be more flavorful. You know, I I, I have a I'm, I'm mainly pigs, but I also do grow. Uh, beef and the, you know, over the winter I wanted a, a prime rib roast I didn't happen to have one I went to a grocer uh, nearby and bought one and boy I was just so disappointed it uh -huh. looked it looked beautiful I cooked it well not to brag but I did cook it well <laughs> and and it just didn't taste it like anything and we're rushing our food through the system so fast that we need to slow down a little bit and give those animals time to mature and then they'll taste better They'll, they, and they'll give us more nutrition. I have a question about how the sausage is made, since we learned all this stuff, Al. Right. And we had a conversation about nitrates. And I was hoping you could go through that with our listeners. Sure. Yes, yeah, so uh, nitrates um, are a villain when it comes to cured meats. But they've, they really serve a very important role in, 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 uh, per, in keeping the meats safe. Uh, they... Uh, uh, take care of any bacteria that might exist in the meat and they're primarily used in products that are going to be long cured um, or uh, ground meat like sausages. So a long cure product would be uh, like a salami or a pepperoni uh, but they're also used for a couple other reasons. One is for taste. They have a little bit of a tangy text, uh, taste that they add and the other thing is color. So any meat that you have that's cooked that's pink has a nitrate in it. And the other thing that is you know, really not well known is that their nitrates exist in our gardens. There's tons of nitrates in green leafy vegetables like spinach, like celery, uh, like carrot root. And one of the tricks that the food uh, industry plays on us is they'll put on the label nitrate free except from other uh, natural sources and you'll look on it and it'll say celery juice. Well the problem with that is is we don't know exactly how much nitrates added because it's coming from a celery as opposed to from a synthetic form. So we can argue about the form of it, but it forms a vital role in terms, in terms of keeping our meat safe. And so measuring it, you know, you know exactly how much you put in, and it's not very much. It's a very small amount, considering all the other ingredients we did. Um, let's talk a little bit more about a couple other aspects of sausage making, because this is what we did while we were down there. The importance of the, the amount of fat that's in there is a big thing. Yep. Yeah. So <clears throat> we uh, we got the meat, uh, good fresh meat from a uh, local producer, 
and we had good hard back fat. And a pig has three kinds of fat on it. A couple of them are pretty useful. One of them, not so much, but we got the hard back fat. And the reason we got that uh, and is the uh, melting temperature of it and the texture. So we had spice and seasoning for flavor, but then we spent a lot of time thinking about texture when it comes to sausage. So we, we cut up the meat into a good, uh, nice size cube. We cut up the fat into a nice size cube. And it was really important to get the salt on it early um, because we, we create a, a, a protein in there called myosin. Um, and then keeping all that meat very, very cold, we, we need it kind of like we do with bread. And that helps develop our texture in that sausage. That was the Amazing. other thing I was going to mention is we kept it cold. And that's and that was something that, like you said, it keeps the texture. But, I mean, every aspect of it was, was kept cold. Even the nozzle that it came out of you chilled in the freezer uh, is very important. Yeah. For health as well as the quality. Um, both, yep. Yeah. Um, both, yeah. If, if you don't pay attention to those kinds of things, um, you'll end up with a crumbly sausage or just the texture won't be quite right. But I will say there again, it takes time. Mm. Uh, so the amount of sausage we made wasn't very much, but it, but. Uh, Are you it, kidding me? That wasn't very much. It was like a ton of sausage to yeah, me. But if you're, if you're a grocery store, <laughs> you're going to look at that and you can sell that in That's five true. minutes. That's true. But you cannot, you cannot put the attention to detail that the three of us did yeah. when we were making that sausage. And, and how much fun did we have? I know. Oh, my goodness. We had so much fun. I really want to encourage folks to search Tom out and go and make some sausage because, I mean, just after we cased it and brought it down and hung it in the in the walk-in, yeah. you know, and you see it there, and there was a really beautiful prosciutto there hanging behind it. You <laughs> make You make pepperoni. You make capicola. You, capicola, they say in Italian, they don't, they drop. The, they drop the A. Mm-hmm. They drop the Capo. vowel at the end a little bit. Capacol. Oh, man, that stuff looks so delicious in there, Tom. Mm. How did you, what What interest did you have to make that makes you want to make pepperoni and those kind of things, too? It's just part of the extension of the of the experience. You have all of this great pork meat, and you and you want to find... Um, how do how do you elevate it to its its highest potential? Mm-hmm. And charcuterie is its in my view its highest potential. Uh, so I I worked hard at learning charcuterie, and there's a lot left to learn. I mean I'm I I, I don't I'll never be a master, but I'm I'm getting to the point where I really like what I make and and I have a lot of fun making it. But that's uh, that's what got me into going from a pork chop to to ground pork or fresh pork sausage into a prosciutto because a prosciutto is a fourth of a whole pig. And that's a gigantic commitment on the part of the animal and on the part of the farmer. It needs to be done right because if you mess up, you're throwing it away. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and so a lot of attention to detail, which, which um, I understand now today better than I ever have. Tom, you're, you're a great teacher. You're very – you put it out there, and you, you don't come from a place where you act like you, you, you're making you people feel small because you know all this stuff. It was a great pleasure yeah. to be there and mm-hmm. be taught. It was really fun because, folks, we, we literally mixed the sausage. We had to do math, which is not my strong suit, <laughs> so we doubled – triple checked things and and then uh we chilled some of the meat and then ice cubes were in it as we grounded but then like you're saying you need it it was really interesting to watch it come together and you talked about like 
the myosin when you're making meat versus the gluten in the bread and how things hold it together and how it comes together. And there was this moment where we were kneading it out, right? Yes. And you could feel it come together. All of a sudden, it, there was a texture and it, it, it conglomerated or something happened. It, it was, it was, it's kind of magical. It's like a magic trick or something. <laughs> it, it, it really is. And once you, once you get that feel, uh, then, then uh, the world is your oyster because we've all seen how many different flavors flavors of sausage are out there, and you can really you can really go far with those with with sausages and different flavors and and profiles. You know, you you, you prosciutto and pepperoni sausage capicola. You actually did a thing for Ukraine, and uh, t- tell me about you made some Ukrainian sausage, and it was a fundraiser for Ukraine. And what's the Ukrainian sausage again? Tell me. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, uh, you know, we all know what's going on in Ukraine. I felt uh, I felt bad, like many of us, and and wanted to do something. So I researched and found that the uh, Ukrainian traditional sausage is called kovbasa, K-O-V, um, and uh, found uh, different formulas and recipes. Talked to a bunch of folks, and then I ended up uh, making a large batch of sausage. And then I asked folks that are within my community, both on Instagram and Facebook, and then on my email list. If you want some of this sausage, just donate to a Ukrainian benefit of your choosing. Let me know you did it and, and swing by and pick some up. And and I don't know if I was touched or something, but it's really literally one of the best sausages I've ever made. Oh, sounds fantastic. Now, I see on your website, utmeat.com, that your next class this month is already sold out. But if folks want to you know, follow what you're doing and get word about the next classes, what do they do? Well, uh, everything really kind of uh, centers around my website and my mailing list. So even though I'm present on social media, Instagram and Facebook, all my class enrollments take place through being a member on my uh, my email list. And I'm not spamming you. So go to my website, which is utmeet.com. Go about halfway down the page. There you can sign up. And, uh, and, and uh, every time I have a class, I'll put the class description, all the links together, send an email out to that, uh, to that discrete list, and uh, then you'll get a chance to sign up and, uh, and come, uh, come to my farm and do some stuff. So the summer is not the best time to make meat because it's very it's warm and hot. And you said you're going to be gearing up in the cooler months, so it's Tell what folks what they can expect for the yeah. fall in classes. What classes? Yep. So we've talked really about red meat so far, but a lot of what I do is also around poultry. Mm-hmm. So the chicks that Laura mentioned that we just got in, um, a, a good share of those chickens go to one-on-one poultry classes where the student would sign up. We would process a chick that has signed up. We would process a chicken start to finish together, and then the student or the participant would go home with the uh, – uh, the the ready for freezer ready for stove sort mm-hmm. of chicken that'll be around uh, in October. Uh, we'll also do some uh, whole animal uh, demos, so a whole hog breakdown, uh, that oh, kind of I'd stuff. I'd love to be a part of one of those. Just even to be a spectator there would be wonderful. Mm. That's a lot of fun. And then the the bacon classes I do during the winter, because bacon the method that I use is a cold smoke uh, method. It takes 30 days for to, from start to finish for the bacon the style that I make. Again, I'm not in any big hurry. I'm looking for delicious. And so we only do that, those classes in the wintertime. And I want to emphasize, even though you're utmeat.com, you really are a .org. You're a nonprofit. Yeah, that's right. Um, along the way, I got some advice from one of, uh, one of my uh, uh, participants in my, in my classes who's now since become a friend and, and really suggested that I become a nonprofit because that's, re- that, that's, that's really more aligned to what I'm trying to do. Education. Is education. And uh, so um, 
So farmers, chefs, and butchers listening to this, you're also looking for guests to lecture with you. Always welcoming new talent or new folks that have deep knowledge around the topics that would fit within meat. So if you're really good at making sourdough, that would be awesome, but it's just not awesome for me. I mean, I love sourdough, but I don't do sourdough within the meat collective because it's not meat. So um, if you happen to have that, uh, that deep expertise, and, uh, and I, I love partnering with other folks in the community, always looking for new relationships, and so that we can highlight your skills and, uh, and uh, get folks to come learn from you. There's that humble teacher guy coming out again, mm-hmm. Tom. It's really good stuff, man. It was fun to come down there. Yeah. It felt really great to be there. And thanks so much for coming up today to our studios from Spanish Fork. Thanks. What a lot of fun. I know, right? We'll put it all in the show notes, folks. You can catch up with Tom Wheatley at the Utah Meat Collective. Farmer, chefs, butchers, and students coming together all in the name of transparent meat education. I think that's a really special niche in our community. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, Al, we're going to go out with some homegrown music. But folks, don't forget, Farmer's Markets tomorrow, Sunday. Choose one. Go check it out. The Fervor is closing us out. Hey, guys. One more time with the Fervors. Uh, where are you guys playing? Yeah, quick tell, quick uh, around town. Where are you at? Uh, next gig is for Honey Days, September 3rd. We just kind of started picking up gigs again as the two-piece. So That's awesome. If you're listening and you need a band to play anywhere, we're your guys. <laughs> melt your brains, but we're your guys. And where can people find you on social media? Do you uh, handle on Instagram at the Fervors, T H E F E R V O R S. What a pleasure. The Fervors with Erie, fresh and homegrown, right here on KRCL 90.9 FM.
KRCL, Salt Lake City.